Will AI be disruptive? Yes. Will people lose their job? Yes. And beyond that, it's hard for me to be certain about what the future is. Like, will it lead to massive layoffs? I don't know. I think it's easier to see which jobs will be eliminated by AI than to see the jobs that will be created by AI. Welcome to AI Experience, the podcast that demystifies artificial intelligence. My name is Julian Rodersberger, and we are going to find out how AI is changing the world. And I'm super happy to welcome John Strode. He is a former civil servant who spent a long time working for a Canadian federal agency. He is now an AI coach, AI expert, and the founder of AI Guides. Thank you for joining me today. How are you, John? I'm excellent. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So before we get started, could you please just tell us more a little bit about yourself? What do you do and who are your clients? Sure. So I'm an AI consultant and coach. Most of our clients are professionals, so working in white collar industries, and they own their own businesses and, and we help them transform with AI. So John, explain me, how did you go from a civil servant job to a AI consultant job? What was your process and your mindset? I was a former executive and part of my responsibilities included strategy and overseeing uh, human resources. So like all of the back end stuff uh, for the organization. And mm -hmm. I could see that there was situation where the management team didn't have access to all of the intelligence that our frontline workers did. So that got me excited about the possibility about how people and technology could work together. So I left government, had a startup working in this field. And over time, this idea of, of people plus technology of augmented intelligence morphed into working in artificial intelligence. So how people are now using this new technology. So was it like a difficult um, decision to make to leave your to leave your job to 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 launch like an entrepreneurial career? It's an unusual choice, but it's something that I was excited about. I was looking for a change. So I'd had a wonderful career. I was at a great organization with good people and a good team but it's not what I wanted to do for the next 15 or 20 years. And I'd always had this itch and I, I wanted to scratch it. But if, for anyone who's thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, it's really hard and you, you can expect to work more hours for less money and less security. So you really have to want it. So you founded AI Guides, um, so which is a consulting company that helps like businesses to navigate the world of AI. So could you just tell us a little bit more about AI Guides and what sets you apart from the others in your field? Right. So we're a small consulting and coaching shop. And what makes us different is that many of the people in the AI space are builders they want to help you implement something and so they'll often have uh, a tool that they they want to sell to you we're different we come at it from the strategy side 
helping you figure out what's a good fit for AI in your organization, get the plan down first, and then we'll connect you with the appropriate builder. Or maybe you don't need to build anything. Maybe it's just something off the shelf. So we'll get you on that right path. And that's the, the idea of guiding you along the path. Yeah, because you are not a software editor. You are not a SaaS business. You're more like a coach, a guide to help your clients to find the right software tool strategy, right? Precisely, helping them make that right decision. And so what is the level of digital um, maturity to the people you talk to among the executives you talk to about AI projects? What do they tell you? What do they know about AI? If you were to ask them to self-assess, they would probably self-assess as, as low maturity. And they're comparing themselves to technology companies that they have in mind, like Google. And certainly compared to those, those leading companies, you would assess them as low. They see AI as a field that's complicated and that's fast moving. But when you compare our clients to their peers in like whatever professional domain they're in, I would consider them to be leaders in the sense that they start by saying, I don't know what I don't know. And then they have an open-minded approach to how AI might be able to transform their business. They have an optimistic, realistic assessment, and they're leaning into this technology. So there's, they still have a long way to go but they're definitely heading in the right direction. And just being open-minded to it uh, puts them ahead of most of their peers. So there is no anxiety, no fear, because we know AI is moving fast and it could be overwhelming sometimes. Oh, there's definitely anxiety and fear. And so we, we see those complementary emotions. For many people, they have the fear of, what is this going to do? Or I don't understand it. And as leaders in organizations, they're very busy people. So it's hard to find the bandwidth to even deal with this. So they, they have that fear and confusion. But what sets them apart is that they're willing to start tackling this and, and get a sense of how is this going to work for me? So what kind of companies are you working with? I know you work with law firms, uh, for example. Yes. Um, any, any, anyone else? Yeah, sure. So uh, law firms, uh, accounting firms, uh, insurance, uh, HR recruiting firms, you know, very white collar work, but uh, there'll be like small, medium-sized enterprises uh, with a, a well-educated workforce and they're trying to figure out how to make their professionals more productive. And so we know AI, of course, that's a technology, but it's not only a technology, it's also a mindset. So how would you approach change management when you talk about AI to organizations? Because AI requires a lot of changes in pretty much any kind of organizations. That's a great point. And about it being a mindset, it's exactly the point that we make with our clients. And what we encourage them to do is to think of this like a research and development project. So you want to experiment with something, 
learn from that, and then iterate. You know, the it starts small as like a little snowball that's rolling down the hill and getting bigger and bigger. And so that's just a different mindset to how you want to think about uh, a project. And and part of part of what we're saying to people is that you know when it comes to AI, it's only going to get better from here. It's only going to get cheaper. It's only going to get more capable. If you're thinking about change management, there's two risks. You either get in too early or too late. And the greater risk is that you get in too late on this. Why do you think this is a risk? Because I would say you have more feedback, good practices, you know what works, you know what doesn't work. It could be great to wait a little bit, don't you think? I think it's good for people to get in and just start experimenting with it, even if it's just small dollars, because it's hard to explain how AI is different. You can talk to people about it, but until they actually try it themselves, they don't get that mindset of how this is going to be different. I think a lot of people had that experience with ChatGPT. They'd never used AI before. And then the interface made it so easy that they could experiment in, in low risk situations. I just think that there's value in getting that experience and jumping in. Don't invest a lot of money, but get that experience. Yeah, you, you almost have to feel the difference. And, and, and what's your method in terms of educating leaders about AI? Because I guess you need to have some realistic expectations from their end. So they need to understand what it can do and what it can do and what are the requirements to achieve a specific goal. And one of the things that we talk about them on how to approach a project is to keep a couple of metaphors in mind. So one is you can think of it like a tool. So you have a specific task that you're trying to do, and it might be like, help me write this email. But what's harder for them to do is start imagining AI as a teammate or uh, a digital worker. So for example, if you are trying to make good decisions, you're part of your management team, then you can assign a role to the AI to be the devil's advocate in this process. So you have a decision that you're thinking about, and then you ask the AI, tell me all the reasons why my decision is wrong, which is something that people aren't very good at. People aren't comfortable giving negative feedback to their colleagues and especially their boss. So it's getting people to think about how you could build a workforce around people plus digital workers. And so could you give us some real life examples of successful or challenging AI integrations? One that uh, we're working on right now, we're calling it RFP bot. So this is a professional services firm and most of their work comes through bidding on contracts. 
And this is a time-consuming and thankless task that nobody in the firm likes to do. So what we're helping them with is take the hundreds of RFPs that they filled out over uh, decades of experience and uploading that to a bot and then asking the bot to like, learn that material. Then as new RFPs come in, getting the bot to provide draft answers to the latest RFP so that it's like a, a junior employee on the team who has access to all of the previous work and is drafting something for the partner to review. So you get a first draft of an RFP and then the partner, of course, has to review it to make sure that it's appropriate and, and sign off on that. Yeah, but, but and so that is based on actual real data. So it should be a huge work because you got to make sure the data is clean, actionable. How do you do that? Yeah, so what you want to do is you upload your material. So it's the previous RFPs that you've worked on. So you know that it's from a reliable source. You instruct the bot to answer based on content from that data set and then you have the traceability so if it says something about you know these are our capabilities and it can reference which rfp it's coming from so if you see that it gives an answer and it's from a sample rfp that's 10 years old and no longer applies well then you would discard that because you have to do that in the editing process but on the other hand if it gives a good answer and it's tailored to the needs of this particular client and you think yeah that's true if if my junior employee had come back and written this paragraph for me would i be okay signing off on it then you can submit it that's super interesting because we know like most companies are working with rfps to get like new vendors and so i, I didn't like imagine that AI could be useful in that in that specific case. And and once you start thinking about this idea of using your own documents as a repository, mm -hmm. then you can start to see the other use cases. And this is this goes back to the idea I was saying about jumping in and experimenting with something small. If you have a chatbot that can answer questions based on your own documents, then maybe you have employees who have standard operating procedures that they're supposed to consult and it's a big fat binder and nobody reads it or it's on the internet and people don't go and and track down what it is that they're supposed to be doing well if you had a chat interface to say in this circumstance what do our standing operators uh sop say we should do and then it pulls that back uh for you it saves a lot of time. And if it's an easier interface, people will be more likely to go and search out what it is that they're supposed to do by asking a chatbot as opposed to flipping through the binder. So when we talk about AI projects, it made me think of like CRM projects. I don't know if you remember that, but like a while ago, CRM were everywhere in all organization and sometimes they failed. That means organizations spend a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of energy on setting up CRM projects. And now I feel like it's about to be the same with AI. So there is a huge buzz around AI, generative AI. So how do you make sure and how do we make sure that AI projects do not fail to meet expectations? 
that's a great point and that goes to the reason that we set up the company in the first place so you know you know we often say it's something like 80 percent of ai projects uh, were failing when we started a couple of years ago getting on the path of doing the strategy work in the first place which is relatively small dollars increases your the chance of success that you'll be going down that right path more generally the advice that we give to people is to think big, get an understanding of how AI can transform your business, but start small. One of the good things about generative AI, as opposed to say classical uh, AI projects that we would have been familiar with up to a couple of years ago, is that in a classical AI situation, you had to you know, gather all the data and you had to build out all of the IT infrastructure and you had to get the algorithm right to make sure that all of these pieces were put together and it could be a long, time-consuming, expensive process. But with generative AI, you have the advantage of working with pre-trained models. You know, OpenAI and these other companies have done all of this work for you to give you this natural language uh, capability. And you're just building something on top of that. So pick something small, try it, see if it generates the results that you're hoping for. And if it does, then double down on that and make it even better. But if it doesn't, you haven't invested a lot in it and and cancel that project and move on to something else. You don't have to bat a thousand with these projects anymore. Batting 500 might be great. And so what kind of KPI, what kind of indicators do you suggest organizations to use to measure like the success of an AI initiatives? Because you got to make sure it works. You know, it works. You got to measure it. When we're talking with professionals, there's three things that we uh, always keep in mind. So one is just in terms of their personal productivity. You have someone who might be like a lawyer or an accountant. How can they get better, faster, more creative uh, at the work that they're doing? So that's number one. And then number two is thinking about the labor costs. Would you pay somebody to do this job? So something like the RFP bot, would you hire a junior person to do that? If so, then you're like adding value to the organization at a fraction of the cost of having paying someone's salary. So if you can build out the capabilities of the team, then it's in effect, you're, you're a small organization that's punching at a, at a higher level. Then the, the last thing we say is you it's, and it's harder to measure, but it's, it's the learning that takes place as you do a project, you'll get a sense of how AI can work and it'll make it easier for you to spot the second, the third, and the fourth opportunity. That's a game changer for companies. It helps organizations to be more effective, more productive at a fraction of the cost. Some people say that it can even disrupt the workforce, leading to massive layoffs. So that, that's a global change. It's not only a technological adventure. 
What is your view on this matter? This is a legitimate and serious concern. And so I approach this as what I hope is a realistic optimist. So I believe that this is going to be a positive change. I wouldn't be working on this if I didn't. But at the same time, I think you, you need to be candid with people. Will AI be disruptive? Yes. Will people lose their jobs? Yes. And beyond that, it's hard for me to be certain about what the future is. Like, will it lead to massive layoffs? I don't know. I think it's easier to see which jobs will be eliminated by AI than to see the jobs that will be created by AI. If we were to hop in a time machine and go back 25 years and try to explain to someone our jobs and to say, like, my job is as a podcast host, that job wouldn't make sense to most people. It's just too hard to see like, what are the consequences of new technology. And when we, we step back and look at like all of the jobs that are around today, I think 60% of jobs didn't even exist 50 years ago. What I, I am confident about is that AI will lead to change. What I'm less certain about is what it will mean for any particular person, although some jobs are definitely going to be at risk. But even for the ones that are at risk, I think the greater concern is not necessarily that you're going to lose your job to an AI, but that you might lose your job to someone who's using an AI. Mm -hmm. So that means long life training, professional training is something that everyone must do. I think so. I think the that's always been important for the last few decades. I think it's only going to be more important going forward. And so when you talk to AI <clears throat> among managers, directors, executives, what are the common misconceptions they might have about AI and how do you address them? One thing that we try to emphasize is that it's not an IT project. Mm -hmm. People are used to buying a, a software, buying a CRM, and the the way that it functions is known in advance so it's it's been well tested and it it does the same thing 99.999% of the time right and it may or may not be a good fit for you but ai is different uh ai it's the intelligence part of artificial intelligence it learns over time you need to move away from this idea that this is something that i could if I get this, I can do a plug and play and it'll carry out this function for me. Uh, you need to be prepared that you'll start it off. You'll ask it to do something. It's going to give you a peculiar answer and you need to train it on how to give you the better answer. It's that learning process over time. And it just takes people uh, a little while to to get around that idea so it's dynamic like it's not static it's not it's not a software we install and that's it like it's it's, it's a continuous movement exactly and so you know when it comes to uh, getting the most out of it then you get into considerations about okay well 
the, the better quality data that I have for it, the better quality answers that I'll get out of it. So you might start off with something and like what you have and then think, okay, well then the next thing that we should do is maybe improve the underlying data. So there's always steps that you can do to continue to improve the model. And so like just working with that over time. So you are an AI coach. Where do you see the future of your job? Do you think that AI will take your job in the future? <laughs> I think that AI will be able to do certainly some of, of what I do. We'll have this uh, podcast. We'll have blogs that I've written. And I don't think it's so far off that we could take that content and create virtual John. Mm -hmm. And so if you wanted to have a conversation with me, but I wasn't around, then you could ask these same questions and, and, and it would give answers based on like how I've answered it historically. But I, I think that because this is such a fast moving domain, and that people will want to connect with not just a bot, but with somebody in person who understands them, that the, the, and the, the need for lifelong learning in this field, I think that being a coach is a, is a good spot to be in. And it's, it's also a fun spot to be because we actually, love working with our clients and we learn so much from them. So we're actually starting to move into peer learning sessions now. So we bring entrepreneurs in this like similar domains mm -hmm. to talk about things like privacy or security or picking a use case. There's what we as coaches can bring, but there's so much that the people from around the table learn from one another. It, uh, it's a constantly changing and exciting field. So I think that while uh, Virtual John will do some of my work, there'll still be plenty of other work for me to do. So I will invite Virtual John in the future then. <laughs> uh, just one last question, John. Um, when you talk about AI projects, you mainly talk about white collar jobs, law firm, accounting. Yeah. IT, et cetera, they're all private companies. What about the public sector? Do you think the provincial, federal government is ready to implement AI projects? Do you think they understand what AI is and what's the value it could bring to the public? I think that there is a tremendous amount of interest in AI projects across the public sector. I have a tremendous respect for my former colleagues. The challenge is not going to be on the know-how or the motivation. The challenge in the public sector is just, it's a large organization. It's a big ship to turn around. When you turn it around, the, the benefits to society are enormous and i i've just moved away from that just because it's the level of effort required of and the time commitment of working with with a big department it can be demanding for a small consulting firm so it, it's not that it's a bad fit it's just not the best fit 
for us. Okay, I understand that. And and globally, do you think like the bigger the organization is, the more difficult it is to implement an AI project? Because you have to deal with many people, you have to deal with many resistance. I think in large organizations, there's an immune system that kicks in to change management initiatives generally. It's like, this is the way that we work around here. And so anybody who has a new idea faces that resistance. So it's, it's always challenging to overcome that, whether it's a public sector or private sector. The advantage that the large organization has is that they can bring many more resources to it. So hiring a team of data scientists, hiring a team of you know, UX designers to make a, a product that's going to be appealing to people and bigger budgets. So it's a different set of problems. Like the upside for uh, a big organization is, is certainly there. But you know, we, we like the, the smaller and medium-sized enterprises that are just a, a little more nimble where decisions can be made more quickly. And it's, uh, it's fun to work in a, in a fast-paced environment. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you, John. So at the end of each episode, the guest answers the question posed by the previous guest. Yes. After that, you have the opportunity to ask a question for our next guest without knowing who it will be. Are you ready? Right. Sure. Perfect. So here's your question, courtesy of Madeleine Lambert, Director of Marketing and Sales at Originality.ai. What scares you the most about AI? Oh, this is a, an easy one. The, the biggest scare is the probability that uh, AI will destroy civilization. And there's, you know, we have people talking about their, their P doom scores. So what's the, you know, what's your P doom? Is it 5%, 10%, 50%? Because the capabilities of AI are getting better and we're not quite sure where it ends. And so there's a non-zero probability, even according to most of the experts working in the field that uh, it could be terribly harmful to civilization. And yet they continue to work on it because they uh, are optimistic about their ability to control AI and because of all of the upsides, because they think what's going to happen when scientists have a personalized assistant to help them tackle cancer research or what's going to happen when every child in the world has an infinitely patient, infinitely knowledgeable bot to give customized lessons to them so that uh, they're able to maximize their potential. But there's not a 0% probability of something very bad happening. So, so that's, that's my biggest fear. I also, a slightly smaller fear that I have is that, uh, is that it just contributes to people being on a treadmill. You get more productive, but instead of getting more free time, what happens is that you just get more work, right? And email, used, like it's a great idea. You can respond to anyone anytime you want, and you can get responses uh, from someone across the world in an instant. But then there's the expectation. But can you imagine that in the future, maybe we're going to have like an AI sending email to another AI. That AI will reply to another AI, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. <laughs> Already? Yes. 
that's gonna happen yeah interesting all right so now john what is the question you would like to pose for our next guest i don't have an ai question but uh, my question is just more um generic and it's who is your hero who is your hero okay Perfect. I will make sure I ask the question. John, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you very much for joining me. You're very welcome. It was my pleasure. And that wraps up another episode of AI Experience. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe on your podcast platform. Your support counts and your comments can really help share this experience with others. You can also visit the website ai-experience.io to find out more. See you soon for a new episode.